0: amen well it is wonderful to be here again with you guys um, my name is Miguel for those of you who do not know uh, as you guys uh, heard we are going to be in Titus 2 verses 11 through 15 uh, for those of you who are new to the church or uh, have been attending our church uh, we would like to get to know you a bit better or if you have questions for our church uh, we have these uh, slips where you guys could fill out your information uh, that you could drop off in the Connect Desk in the front. We also have these light blue Bibles in the pews that you guys can take with you. We are a church who loves God's word and we love to gift God's word. So please, con confianza, take a Bible with you. Or if you already have one, take it so you can gift it to somebody, your friend, your tia, your family member, whoever it may be, it is a gift from us to you. And as we start our time, I would like to start it off In prayer. So you guys would please join me in prayer. Father God, we are grateful for this year that you have given us. Lord, we are grateful that your grace continued to hold us together. That your grace continued to to abound, Lord, where sin seemed to be abounding. Lord, that you are the one who held together our lives. That you, Lord, are the one that continues to shape our identity. Lord, you're the one who holds the stars in the skies. You're the one who sets the sun. Father, we are thankful that even though we may have gone through trials, even though that we have felt anxiety, maybe we went through illness, that you, Lord, continue to remain faithful in who you say you are. That you, Lord, are the one that continues to guide us in everything that we do. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here with a hardened heart, that you, Lord, softened it. If there is anyone here that is confused, Lord, or is going through anxiety, that you, Lord, are the one who gives them words that will bring them to you. Father, I also just pray that at the end of this service, when everyone goes home and go celebrates the New Year with their families, that you may protect them from any harm that is to happen. That you, Lord, protect us as we drive home either late at night or as we go to our families. We love you. I pray that you are here with us today, Lord. And in your precious name, Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen. Well, it has been a year for us. And I like to start off with saying, look at us, right? Look at us. Who would have thought, right? We have gone through many trials this year. Many of us maybe had some hard decisions that you have to make. Many of us maybe faced illnesses that we weren't aware of. Many of us maybe lost a family member. Some of us even uh, lost our jobs, Whatever it may have been, it made the year maybe start off rough. Maybe you're ending the year in that, that season in your life, right? But there is grace for that. For some of us, the year was maybe a good, right? Maybe our, answer, our prayers were being answered. We, are, we were successful in the things that we were uh, asking for. Right, We got the new job that we were praying for. Our relationship has become better. Right, We're in a new season in our relationship. Our marriages have started to heal, and that is good. This year has brought seasons of good and seasons of bad. But in both seasons, there is something that we are, are to face, and one that particularly that I would like to talk about today is how we can become forgetful people. How we can become forgetful of who God is and who he says we are. For the one who is currently facing or maybe had a rough year, the challenge and the temptation is to think that God owes us grace. We think to ourselves through our trials that, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this going on? Why haven't you stopped the war? Right? Why am I ill and why haven't you healed me? There's that temptation that we think that God needs to fix what we are asking him to do for those who maybe the year was more peaceful the year you know you had blessings upon blessings falling on your lap right your work was successful your business is successful your health is good the temptation here is that you now think that success is a determining factor without god being in the picture you start thinking to yourself that you were the one that was successful, that your hustle, your sway, your blood was the one that got you to the finish line. And you forget of who God is and what his grace has done for you. For both seasons of life, we, we need to understand the foundation of our lives is the grace of God that continues to be poured into our lives. In both seasons, we will see that we can become forgetful of what God has done and who he says we are. In a similar fashion, this is where we're going to be seeing Paul telling Titus in this section of scripture. Titus was a young pastor who was in the island of Crete. The island of Crete, Paul knew that he was going to be facing challenges such as facing people who were evildoers, blasphemers. There was teachers of the Jewish tradition that were still teaching people that they had to be saved through works. There were people who would be teaching uh, false doctrines, right? And so Paul instructed Titus to go and build up elders in churches that would teach the true gospel of who Jesus was. That their foundation was now found in Christ Jesus that now they had an extended invitation, that it wasn't just for Jews that could be saved, that it was for also the Gentiles. And so today, we're going to be talking about, and this is our main idea, is God's grace is the foundation of our identity and the pillar of our lives. I'll say that one more time. God's grace is the foundation of our identity and the pillar of our lives. And so we're going to be walking through four points today. The first one we'll see in verse 11, grace saves. The second one is grace transforms. The third one is blessed hope. And the fourth one is grace declared. So we'll find ourselves in point one, grace saves. We'll see this in verse 11 where it says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Paul begins this letter with the foundation of our faith that is that grace came to meet us where we are at that grace is de- and grace is defined as we know as God's undeserving unmerited favor over our lives in other words he gives us something that we do not deserve but to understand grace we must know why we need grace and what we need saving from. And I'd like to start off by taking us to Matthew 27, verses 20 through 26. I'm going to paraphrase it, but as the story goes on to say, we have a man named Barabbas. In this time, Barabbas was a a deserving prisoner, someone who was bad, someone who deserved death, someone who deserved to be in prison. He beat people, he killed people, he stole from people, he was a rebel. And in this day in history, we find that they were always, they had an accustomed to release a prisoner. It's kind of similar to how we have Thanksgiving and we pardon a turkey, something like that, right? But here we're going to see that they were going to pardon a prisoner. And in the midst of that, we also see another prisoner come into the story, and that is a man named Jesus. That man came, and even Pontius Pilate, as he brought him onto the stage in front of the crowd, and he stood before them as seeing Barabbas, the rightful and deserving prisoner, and then seeing Jesus, a blameless man, and he stands before before them. And we could think to ourselves, what did Jesus do? Jesus healed the leopards, healed healed the blind man. He gave to the poor. He fed the people. He brought people back from the dead what did he do that made him blameless or blamed it made him a prisoner of where he was standing we then continue on the story where uh pontius Pilate asked the crowds well who who do you guys want who do you want to set free this day and you see him point to barabbas and see him point to jesus and then you see the crowd being influenced by the priests and the elders of the church to tell them to crucify Jesus, and so they all yell, release Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Paul, or Pontius Pilate, is kind of confused as he knows that Jesus is a blameless man, and so then he asks, what do you want me to do with him? And the crowd shouts, crucify him. Crucify Jesus. Release Barabbas. Barabbas. Pontius Pilate, knowing this, washes his hand, walks away and says, if this is what you guys want, I'll leave it to you. We see that after that, Barabbas is released and we never hear of him again. If, if we, well, let me ask first, what does this have to do with Grace. The story of Barabbas is important because it is a narrative of who me and you are, sinners deserving death. You and me are sinners from birth. We inherited the sin of the result by the fall where Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden where that made us instead of children of God, we became enemies of God. What does it look like to be living in sin? Like what does it mean for me to be a sinner, right? When we look into Galatians 5 verses 19 to 21, this is what the scripture says. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now the works of the flesh are those things that go against God, the things that make God angry. And it says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like these i warned you as i warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god if you are currently practicing any of these things the bible teaches us that we will not inherit the kingdom of god that we are enemies of god In our sinful nature, the only thing that we can do is habitually sin. In this nature, we are slaves to the pleasure of the flesh. We are slaves because we choose to be. But God does not leave us prisoners. He demonstrated his grace by consistently attempting to reconcile us back to himself. All throughout the Old Testament we see God trying to reconcile his people back to himself. We see that he consistently and willingly pursued us even though he did not need to. God could have saved himself from the heartache, from the pain that we bring him from when we fall into sin, but he said that he wants us. Why? Because he loves us. If we look back to the story of Barabbas, we find ourselves standing before the crowd, We can place ourselves in the shoes of Barabbas. Why? Because we're the ones who deserve death. We're the ones who deserve the punishment. And we are the ones that should have been crucified. But instead, Jesus took our place. He stood there willingly and silently so that we may be able to walk free. He knew that he had to die our death so that we would be clothed with his righteousness with his holiness, that when we place our trust and faith in Jesus, we will once again be able to be reconciled to God and be called children. Paul was reminding the credence that their salvation and their hope appeared to save all men, that the credence were no longer uh, be, would have to tolerate or believe the lies from the false doctrines that were around them that now they can place their faith in Jesus because he appeared bringing salvation to them as well as the Jews. Do not set your eyes before what our culture around us tells us that is good. That there is a different way out from your situation. You might have been influenced while you were going through a hard or difficult situation by people who would tell you that, man, you just gotta do more. We just got to pray more, right? That that's then when God is going to listen to you. But that is not true. Placing our faith in Jesus is the only thing that gives us a connection with God. And he is the only reason why we are saved. And then we go on to point number two, which is grace that transforms. What happens then when we give our lives to Jesus? How do we continue to be more like Jesus This is what it says in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Here Paul is describing a process that we like to call sanctification. It is a process where we continually are dying to our sin and to our old selves. The process of sanctification is only made possible because of Jesus, We couldn't live holy lives apart from him. But then it gets hard at times, right? It gets hard at times to to continue to be more like Jesus. So what did Jesus do? He says in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What is Jesus referring to? The Holy Spirit. So how then do we live godly lives? We rely on the Holy Spirit. We rely on the convictions and strengths that he gives us. The Holy Spirit is our trainer. He is the one that helps us relinquish those things that are evil and that God does not like. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to shape us and make us more like Jesus. So we have to hit those spiritual weights. We have to continue to seek the gospel. We have to continue to read God's word to feed off of it that it may strengthen us as we walk. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you worked out? When was the last time you went to the gym? Right? My point is, right, like, if you're anything like me, no it's time for us to go back to the gym. Why? Because after a while, physically, we start seeing how it affects us physically we start seeing the love handles kind of get a little bigger, right? We start getting more fatigue as we're walking through a flight of stairs. It's easy for us to notice that something is going wrong and we should probably make a change. But Similar to this, the Holy Spirit is the one who offers us that training. The Holy Spirit is the one that shapes us to be more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one that will teach you that when you see an order of tacos, instead of eating that, you should eat a salad. The Holy Spirit is the one that is going to help you fight through temptations. And then let me make it a little bit more personal. The Holy Spirit will teach you how to properly love and honor your spouses. The Holy Spirit is the one that will teach you to say no when you are overloading your plate with tasks. The Holy Spirit is the one that is going to to teach you to be less passive in the areas that you have allowed passivity to take root in. He is going to expose your idols and your sins that you must put to death. So I'll give you a moment. What are you currently wrestling with that you need to put to death? What has the Holy Spirit been reaching out to you and tugging at your heart that, hey, this needs to be put to death? This isn't shaping you to be more like Jesus. This is actually getting you out of shape. What have you wrestled with this past year? What have you ran to when things got difficult? What was the one thing, if it wasn't Jesus, that you would go to when when tragedy will strike? When you became angered, when anxiety will hit you, what was the first thing that you ran to? Maybe throughout the year, like I said, you might have had a peaceful and successful year. Where did that success come to? And who did you give glory to? Was it Jesus? Or were you seeking for your own praise? If we see this, living a godly life is being more like Jesus. We are to continue to look towards the gospel. If We want to see who Jesus is. Search the scriptures. If we see in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but the new has come. The grace of God transforms you into being more like Jesus. Then we go on to a point number three, the blessed hope. And it reads, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. What is blessed hope? The word blessed in the Greek here is makarios, meaning it is a happy hope, that it is good, that it makes you rejoice and be glad. But who are the ones who are waiting? The ones who have placed their trust and faith in Jesus. What hope do we gain from placing our trust in him? That we will be with him in eternal life. Jesus prayed for us and about this. If we go to John 17 verse 24 in the highly priest prayer, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Paul is reminding the Cretans as well as us that this should bring us joy because Jesus is the one who has sought us and died for us. And Paul understands that renouncing ungodliness and living an upright life is not easy and will not bring immediate joy. Dying to your sins is not something that you are probably going to immediately feel happy about because it is something that you probably held dear to your heart. But we must be obedient to what God says is good and to what God says is bad. Then we go on to see how he says, Purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It is God who makes us new. It is God who has given us a new life. And it is Jesus who is the one who has made us to be in, in relationship with God. He goes on to say that we are for his own possession. This is where it becomes a happy hope. God has called us to be his. If you don't know your identity in Christ, it is this, that God paid a price for you and me to be his. To be his holy people. God calls us to be holy as he is holy. Have you ever bought something that you paid really good money for? What do you do with it? You probably box it in something. You don't let anyone look at it. You don't let anybody play with it. You don't let anyone touch it. You become possessive of what you bought that costs you a lot of money. God is jealous for us, and he paid a price for us, and he wants us for himself. Then we go on to zealous for good works. This is our response to God's grace over our lives. This teaches us how we are to live lives that glorify God. Grace is the ultimate motivation to a life that is shaped by the work of Jesus. He now becomes the foundation of our lives and the pillar as well. The way you live out a godly life is by allowing Jesus to build on the foundation that you have trusted him in. He does not only keep our faith from being shaken, but he also holds it together as we are walking through this life. And then our final point, grace declared. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Paul ends we're telling Titus, exhort and rebuke. These words oftentimes tend to have a negative meaning, or at least we've made them to have a negative meaning. For most of us, we take it as like, <sighs> right, you take it as, oh man, you're just going to get mad at me again. But exhorting and rebuking are actually things that should be positive in the Christian life. To exhort means that you are going to urge someone to do something different, that you are trying to encourage them to make a right decision. For example, I remember a few friends of mine that would tell me that the Cowboys are better than the Browns and that they urged me to go to the Cowboys and to root for the Cowboys. They didn't, they didn't do it in a way where it was demeaning, but they urged it and said, well, we have more rings than you. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. When you exhort someone... You, then, are going to try to, or when you rebuke someone, I'm sorry, that you express a sharp disapproval. This is where we share with whoever you are talking with what they did or what they are doing is wrong. So, using the same example is if the same friend comes to me and tells me, hey, man, following the Browns is wrong. They are the worst team in the league. They will say it in a sharp disapproval way, where it almost seems demeaning and seems kind of harsh, but in reality, They're trying to let me know that the Browns really weren't that good. (laughs) Exhorting and rebuking go hand in hand. How? Well, for example, when you rebuke someone, you tell them that what they are doing is wrong, and you follow it up by urging them that what is wrong and how it harms them. I feel that this is often something that we do not do very well. We often do not know how to rebuke and exhort one another. We tell each other that what we are doing is wrong and how we are sinners and how this is actually evil, but we never share the actual gospel to one another. When we exhort and rebuke, the meaning behind it and the reason why we do it is to bring people to Jesus. When I first got saved, I remember that I would beat the Bible on my family. Not literally, but, you know, I would tell them that, man, you guys need to come to Jesus. What you guys are doing is wrong. What you guys are doing is evil. You guys are going to go to hell. I would only be rebuking them of what they were doing, but I never taught them of the grace and love of God. I never showed them what Jesus looked like. I never served them well. I never went alongside of what they were struggling with to share with them, man, this is Jesus. And so the same goes to us if you find yourself exhorting and rebuking people by just telling them that they are sinners and not walking alongside of them, I urge you that the next time you do to walk alongside what they are struggling. Don't just leave them without hope. Show them who Jesus is by how you love them. This is what it goes on to say, let no one disregard you. Here Paul reminds them that we need to stand firm in what we declare and what we live out Jesus to be. That the Holy Spirit will shape our lives and our convictions according to the word of God. That whatever convictions the Holy Spirit is setting upon you, that they're not random, but they are reminders of what God says in his word. Paul is sharing that we have a responsibility as image bearers of Christ that we now must proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ and do it in a way where people will not despise you. Unfortunately, we have uh, Christians who uh, walk around sharing a gospel that is not true. We have people who sometimes share the gospel of prosperity. I recently had a friend of mine at, at work who, there was another Christian that worked with us, that told him something that made him question Christians in general. The man told them that he wished for somebody to worship him to obey everything that he said. And so he comes up to me and tells me, "Hey, man, like like do you guys get get an edge off of people following you and obeying you?" And man, it it was hurtful. Why? Because now my friend was confused. He had heard something that was not true of the gospel. And in that moment, I could have told him, yeah, man, like, this isn't true. You know, this is what Jesus did. You know, he died for you, resurrected. You know, just repent of your sins and walk away. No. I walk with him as I continue to explain to him, man, Jesus died for you, and he loves you. And now I'll go with cookouts to him. I'll go hang out with him and continue to share the word of God with him. Right? Being good image bearers of who Christ called us to be. Love your neighbor. But we have to be careful and remind ourselves that people are watching our every move. We must be responsible of how we live our lives, not causing people to stumble but bringing them to Christ. This year, good or bad, I don't know exactly the circumstances and trials that you guys might have faced I don't know what blessings or healings you might have received, but I do know this. Do not believe the lies of what other people tell you. Do not look to other people's lives and become envious and thinking that, they're, that God is being more graceful and merciful to them than he is to you. Do not look to the goals of other people the lives of other people, see what God has done for you. Look back throughout this year and see the blessings and grace where you think it wasn't there, and it was. Church, we must turn away and repent from whatever idols we are following, whatever sins we are holding dear to our heart. Start the new year by asking God to help you put to death the sins that you have been wrestling with. Continue to rely on Jesus and on his Holy Spirit to give you strength and remembrance of who he is and who he says we are. He paid a prized possession for us. He paid with the blood of Jesus for you to be his. For those who are here and or or don't have their faith in Jesus, thank you so much for being here this afternoon. This is never easy, but it is my duty to tell you that if you have not placed your trust and faith in Jesus, then you are currently an enemy of God. The works and the desires of the flesh are pleasing and do seem delightful to the eye. I can attest to that. At some point, the, the, the temptations of the flesh did seem good. But that is only because we were in constant rebellion. It's like when our parents will tell us, hey, no toques la estufa porque te vas a quemar. Don't touch the stove because you're going to get burned. This is what God is warning us about our sin. So I urge you to repent. I urge you to repent and turn away. It's going to hurt, and that burn that you have Jesus is going to heal. He heals the wounds that seem to be unhealable. So run to him. Church, everything that we talked about, everything that I said, I'm sorry, I'm kind of sick, I sounded muffled. We have started the year, we're starting a new year we must start it remembering that God's grace is for us and that God's grace was demonstrated through his son, Jesus. That God's grace is the foundation of our lives. That God's grace is the pillar of our lives. He holds it together. Sanctification is a process of making that pillar stronger and stronger to the day he returns. So church, I end with this. God's grace is the foundation of our identity and the pillar of our lives. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You, Lord, are the one who allows us to understand your word. You, Lord, are the one that continues to be the foundation of our lives. You understand completely what we are going through. The anxieties we have faced this past year, the illnesses we have walked through. You know the pains that we have felt. Lord, if we are currently still going through trials as we enter the new year, Lord, may, be, may we be remembering that you are the one that will give us strength to walk through it. You, Lord, are the one who is faithful. You, Lord, are the one that holds our lives together. Lord, I ask that you may search our hearts, that we may be vulnerable to you, Lord, that we allow you to speak into our lives in the areas where we have tried to keep dear to ourselves. Lord, please, If there is anyone here who does not know you, I ask that they continue to seek you and that you meet them where they are at. At their place, their trust, Lord, in what you have done for us, and that is to send Jesus to die for us. Help us, Lord to rely more on you, to be made more like you, to trust the Holy Spirit. As the new year comes, Lord, let us continue to seek to be more like Jesus. Let us be a church that is known for loving you and loving our neighbors.